0: I'm Lisa. I am Julie. And together we are Two Two Sober sober Chicks.
1: Welcome back to our series on the big book study. The last time we recorded, it was part eight and we were getting into Bill's story. So we're just continuing from that point.
0: And I've gotten a lot of feedback on this from people who are listening, and they've been begging us to continue. So I'm glad that we are making space for this today.
1: Me too.
0: So where are we, Julie?
1: We are on page eight, the beginning of the second paragraph. Beside that, I have, and it is referred to as when Bill did his step one. So it says... No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass. Is it morass? Morass, please. <laughs> yeah.
0: Pass the ass. I'll morass? Have morass. Uh, <laughs> Or is
1: it morass? I think it's, it's like more... less emphasis on the ass. It's morass.
0: <laughs> yes, morass. Okay. I believe it makes it more sophisticated. Morass.
1: Yes. Um, of self-pity quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Um, and I have a little question here from when I was booked Mm -hmm. the, uh, old timer tradition of booking a newcomer. And it says, was I as hopeless as bill? Did I want to stop drinking, but I couldn't.
0: Those are great questions. So if you're following along with your highlighter and your pen, I would definitely suggest you write those questions down um, right after that paragraph. As Julie said, this is when Bill takes his first step. It's his um, admission, right, of um, helpless powerlessness. And can you please repeat those two questions again so we can write them down, Julie? Was
1: I as hopeless as Bill? Did I want to stop drinking, but couldn't?
0: So um, here's what I relate to in this paragraph. Um, Man, Bill would have made a great drama queen. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. a drag queen. He probably was. Yeah, (laughs) drama queen. Um, I could totally relate to the loneliness and the feelings of despair and uh, that uh, bitter morass of self-pity. Um, I spent a lot of time in my feelings, my emotions. Um, the thoughts only the thoughts that I had only perpetuated more um, deep uh, feelings of resentment and self-pity and anger and self-justification. Um, I love the imagery that he uses, the quicksand. Uh, Nothing describes that feeling of hopelessness and despair, like quicksand. Um, and how it stretched. It's hopeless, right? It stretches out around you in all directions. There's nothing you can do. Um, I had met my match. That is a great description of powerlessness. Um, being overwhelmed. I think of a fighter, you know, stepping into a ring and hmm. uh, you're this tiny little fighter and you're up against, you know, some six foot tall behemoth. You've met your match. You're going to be overwhelmed and alcohol being the master. Um, For me, when I first came in, there was um, a a big fight for me against turning my will and my life over to the care um, of a God that I didn't quite understand. And yet it was pointed out to me, but Lisa, you've already turned your life over to something greater than you,
1: alcohol. Nice.
0: So that's what I get from that paragraph. What about you?
1: Loneliness what is what stands out to me the most because, because alcohol had been my master. I had been separated from everything in order to protect my addiction. So it was very isolating. My world was very small. I was very lonely. I was very embarrassed. I was very ashamed. Um, I was like unfit and unable to operate normally in society. Um. Because, you know, you also start to go crazy. Like, you know, the second we start recording, this little bastard is licking his elbows. He's horking up fur. He's shaking his jingling his collar. He's going behind. Who knows? He might just pull this whole fucking operation down. Like, what is wrong with animals?
0: Well, we'll hear that. But so far, I haven't heard any of the licking or the chain. Okay. It's just it's just coming through your mind. I have a grief dog.
1: In widow yeah. circles, when you're widowed and you get a dog, they're called grief puppies. So yes. I got a puppy. He's at my feet.
0: Yes. Um You know what? It's oh. almost like he's like, oh, she's she's good right now. So I can get into mischief.
1: It's like those bastard cats. The second you start working on your laptop or wrapping a present, they're like, oh, hmm, I'm just going to go walk over there right now.
0: <laughs> Lay on that.
1: Yep. Um. So, also at this point in our addiction, we are also—we're not right in the head. Literally, our brains have been changed. We have killed brain cells. We have changed our neurochemicals. We're not right. We're paranoid. We're delusional. We're—we're we're all kinds of messed up. So, that makes you really lonely. I—I uh, I totally relate to that.
0: Yeah, I it's love that about- you mentioned that. Like that, almost that mental illness to us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our brains being hijacked and we're not thinking right. Um, I was talking about that with a new sponsee this morning um, about how our brain tells us crazy shit. You know um, she was talking about how she cuts people out of her life in an instant. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you need to learn how to pause, pray and proceed or check your thinking with your sponsor. That should be your new mantra. Before I respond to this text, <laughs> I'm going to ask my sponsor and I'm not going to respond until I get a response from my sponsor. I like that. So, because definitely our brains are different in early recovery. All right.
1: All right. Trembling. I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice day, 1934, I was off again everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. I have that one underlined and highlighted. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch, which is a drunken spree. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence, which is also a great topic. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness, in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes oh so good um anything there you want to talk about i have um mm-hmm. fear sobered me for a, bu- a bit Beside mm-hmm. that my question is can fear keep me sober for good
0: And the answer
1: absolutely no
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny I have that one underlined and highlighted as well fear sobered me for a bit um, not everybody's story includes relapse but mine does and um, you know I think that was part of my relapse fear of losing things hmm. um, uh, there, things were very important people were very important I put those things ahead of my recovery in fear of losing them and then I lost my recovery and I lost those things as well um and then came the insidious insanity of that first drink, which leads to that that relapse that thought of hey maybe it'll be different this time um and it's funny because he was just hospitalized you know he knew he was broken he talks about how everyone including himself thinks that he's going to have to be shut up or he'll stumble along basically to his death and yet, even in that state, we get a little bit of sobriety time. And if we don't do this work, if we don't do this these steps, yeah. if it's only fear that is keeping us sober or someone else, um, then we will relapse again.
1: And if there's someone here that's listening to this by chance, who's trying to get sober and has that window of opportunity where fear is still keeping you from drinking, I would say just do not get away from this program. It will not keep you sober forever. You have to do the work. This program, when these guys started it, there was no big book. There was no meetings. You had to do your step work, which looked a little different back then, but we built on that in our sort of, it came to a different thing in the 12 steps, but It's the steps that will ingrain itself in you as a lifestyle and as a practice that will keep you safe, not fear or consequences.
0: And thank you. And then at the end of that paragraph, we have uh, a promise, right? Because Mm. the whole whole thing about this big book is that it's a textbook and it says early on in the preface, it says, we're going to show you precisely how we have recovered, how we got well and how we continue to stay well. And uh, there are a bunch of promises throughout the book, and this is one. Bill is saying, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life. So as a result of living the program of the 12 steps of action, the payoff is happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. So the, the more you stay in the program, the deeper you get into in you know, service, usefulness to others, continuing to work with others and helping people out, it gets more wonderful at, as time goes. I used to think these people were crazy for attending these meetings as long as they did. And I used to think there'd be an expiration date on my time spent here. Mm-hmm. And now I have weird thoughts like, ooh, I can't wait till I'm retired mm-hmm. and I can devote all my time. Well, except for the time I spend with my wife, all of my other time <laughs> to people in recovery and doing service. I'm one of those weird people now. Um, it's so cute. Um, so we're recording this, but Julie and I are zooming so we can see each other because it's kind of nice for us to get to see each other. And I can see her dog, her grief puppy, walking around in the background there. He's oh, there he is. Hello, Sully. Oh my goodness, he's so at me. cute. He's so cute, what a baby! Mm-hmm. Perfect. I'm so glad you got that dog. Is yeah, it was a definite need for it. He, I think I've he had him
1: out. half him. as long as Zach has been dead at this point, which mm-hmm. is crazy, right?
0: Yeah,
1: little stinky bastard. Um, <laughs> but yes, it. I just circled in a way of life from that paragraph. Cause I hadn't done that before. And then I just recircled in. It's like a friend of mine in the program heard a speaker say one time, come all the way in and sit all the way down. That's
0: the way to do it. Yeah. Not, not, not sit at the back with halfway <laughs> with your foot halfway out the door. I mm-hmm. mean, sitting in the back is fine, but don't sit in the back to avoid people. All right. I'll read for a little bit. Um, Awesome. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. Obviously, he's alone while his wife is out at work. (laughs) With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed his secrets, right? He's hiding his drinking, although it's no surprise to Lois that he's getting drunk all the time. I had concealed about the house. Um, I had enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. Oh, what a prospect for an alcoholic. Enough booze to last two days. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. Ah, that need. Anything you want to look at there?
1: No, I'm just excited about Ebby Thatcher coming up in the next two lines. <laughs> I know. <it's> great.
0: <laughs> the only thing I have to say, which I've already kind of said, is about our secrets keeping us sick, that lying, that deceit, trying to conceal things. And we think we're fooling people, but we're not. Mm-hmm. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober is in italics in the book so let's uh let's underline or circle or highlight that he was sober it was years since i could remember his coming to new york in that condition i was amazed rumor had it that he had been here's the gossip amongst us right rumor had it Mm. he had been committed for alcoholic insanity I wondered how he had escaped. Uh, that's my favorite. Of course, he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. So I love how in this in this one you know paragraph here, he's talking about his friend possibly escaping from an insane asylum, and yet he's focused on, "Yay, I get to drink openly with a friend." Mm-hmm. So selfless, a selfish. Mm-hmm no thought or concern about the care of his friend who may or may not have escaped from an insane asylum. We're just going to get shit faced together.
1: Yeah. And an insane asylum for alcoholic insanity. This isn't just like, Oh, he's schizophrenic, like alcoholic insanity. I mean, that's what they used to do with us back then. Right. It was just all, you know, just put him in the asylum. No one really cared to figure out what the problem was.
0: And schizophrenia is not self-induced. Bipolar Mm -hmm. is not self-induced, but alcoholic Mm -hmm. insanity Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. self-induced. All right. Oh, there, he says it. Unmindful of his welfare, (laughs) I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time when we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing an oasis. Drinkers are like that. I love mm-hmm. that paragraph. Mm-hmm. What do you want to tell us about that?
1: Um, the sentence I could drink openly with him stands out it, for me because it's obvious that he is drinking by himself and doing so secretly. And I just remember not ever wanting to go somewhere with people who didn't drink or go to houses where I knew there wouldn't be enough alcohol because I couldn't drink openly. Like I wanted to, I mean, I was a closet drinker, so I couldn't really drink openly with anyone, but at least give me enough that it doesn't like look like I'm drinking too much. Like at least give me a couple, two, three, four glasses of wine. Um, but that's that goes back to the isolation thing. Like the deeper you get into your addiction, the more isolated you would get you get, uh, which is why it's dangerous to get in the company of people who drink and use after you get out of treatment or even dry for a while. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be around people that want to drink openly. I mean, now I can. It's not a problem. But right. you got to be very sensitive in your early recovery to stuff like that. Like, why am I feeling like I need to isolate? Why am I feeling like I need to drink alone or use alone? Like, what lies am I telling myself about why that's okay?
0: Why do I feel bitter and resentful that I can't drink like my friends, like normal people? Mm. Um, I had a chat with another sponsee the other day who said, you know, sometimes I'm just really pissed off at my disease. Like, why do I have it and my friend doesn't? Why can't I get together and have a glass with my friend and talk about like uh, what a hard week I've had? And I said, why can't you get together with your friend and talk about the hard Mm. week that you've had? Mm -hmm. Why does it have to be over a glass of wine? What's important here to you? is having the wine (laughs) yeah you can still get together with your friend without the glass of wine but because you are still early in recovery you're still obsessing you have that mental obsession over the drink and why can't i drink and i want to drink right you haven't yet accepted fully step one that you're powerless over alcohol and you cannot drink Mm -hmm. so we've talked a little bit about the self-centered nature of the alcoholic being unmindful of the welfare of the other person um I also have the, uh, the, the, what did you say Then I could drink openly with him mm-hmm. next to that? I have, this is the great lie of social drinking for an alcoholic,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah. I'm going to drink socially. Meanwhile, like you said, you've been getting shit faced by yourself all day. Mm-hmm. Um, alcoholics think reality is a dreary desert of futility. So I have that written in my margin alcoholics think reality is a dreary desert Mm -hmm. of futility, Mm -hmm. unless they can drink. That talks to me about the negative thinking that I have, that I can succumb to very quickly, which is why even though gratitude lists are not mentioned anywhere in the big book, it's a tool in my spiritual toolkit that I have found helpful. When I start to feel myself being more negative than positive, I have to remind myself to connect to my higher power by being grateful and by thanking my higher power for all the many things that I actually do have in my life. Sobriety being first in my list. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the, the very thing, an oasis, drinking is our solution. And I like that line, drinkers are like that. And what's that? Uh, To me, that's negative and all consumed by alcohol. Alcohol is the only thing that gives us purpose um, before we come in and get recovered.
1: Yeah. You know, gratitude is something that I had to learn coming into this program. I remember my sponsor would say, You have to write down three things you're grateful for at the end of every day, and you can't put food, shelter, and breathing or something like that. And and every day it has to be three new things you haven't mentioned that week. And I was like, what? And then you cut to uh, how many years later, 12 or 13 years later, since I entered recovery and Mm -hmm. being a new widow, almost nine months now. um, Gratitude is such an ingrained part of my life that even from the very beginning, I was like, well, I'm grateful that I didn't have to see his body lying in the street in whatever condition it was when he died. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful someone was there to hold his hand. Um, I'm grateful that we had a sweet goodbye. And now I'm grateful that I don't have to worry about financial insecurity. Like so many widows do. Um, there's lots of reasons that I can and do get upset I'm in a foreign land. I don't have my friends and family here. Um, All kinds. I mean, obviously my husband went to work and never came home. Um, I can't travel because I'm in line for status. I have to navigate the American healthcare system by myself. Like so many things. But I, I very often, and my husband was big about gratitude too. I'm like, I'm so glad that I don't have to deal with this, or I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that. Because the things I'm mad about are just are, and I can't change them. They're just going to be shitty and I'm going to have to like sit in them. At the same time, I can also be grateful. I can be mad that my husband was ripped for me at the same time that I'm grateful he's in heaven and he's not the one grieving me down Mm -hmm. here. But that was gratitude was a hard
0: pill for me to swallow at the beginning.
1: I was not happy about that one at all
0: in the beginning of recovery or in the beginning of after the death in the death, beginning of recovery mentioned. okay
1: yeah now it is just like you practice it just we just i just circled it in a way of life this way of life requires gratitude it you will not get better if you don't have it because victims don't get well
0: victims stay stuck that's the a morass
1: of self pity i mean i i could relapse tomorrow and no one would begrudge me that because of the morass of self-pity. No one would. Everyone would go, oh, I totally get it. Yeah, But I'm in a way of life much far removed than it was nine, Mm -hmm. 10 months ago, a year, a year and a half ago. I am not as involved in AA as I was before. I have pulled back substantially. Mm -hmm. Um, but And I haven't left it. I've just pulled back But because I've been in a way of life for over a decade, I get that extra added like security and um, what do you call it? The thing that catches you like a net, a safety net, a a safety net, a cushion. I have a safety net that is very readily accessible to me because of all the work I've put in.
0: So I'm great into the bank. Grateful
1: for that. Yeah. Yeah. I can make work. a de- I can make several withdrawals because of all the deposits I've put in.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to talk about our recent uh situation or no?
1: The intervention? <laughs> I would love to talk about the intervention. I was That's actually gonna, when you were talking earlier about calling your sponsor, I don't remember because my brain just doesn't operate properly anymore. I don't remember if you had said that you had called your sponsor before you called my sponsor.
0: I did. And she said, said, yes. Okay. I think think you should. Okay. Okay. So we should, yeah, preface. uh, And then we'll wrap up with this. And then just because this might be long for some people and we'll, we'll continue in the next podcast. Sure. But yeah, let's finish with our little story. And I love Julie and I love our friendship. Um, Yeah. And I love how she accepts me for who I am same (laughs) okay go
1: (laughs) um no you go
0: okay so (laughs) um it was probably I think it was in so Julie and I have a little group text with uh our friend Sarah um and it was Sarah and I that got together God bless Sarah um I didn't have the extra finances and Sarah paid our way to go down and see Julie Uh, And we specifically waited. um, This was after uh, Zach's death. I specifically waited to book the trip until after the memorial service, because that's a time when everyone is rallying, everyone's Mm -hmm. around you. And we both knew, we all knew, the three of us, that there'd be a time shortly after that where all of a sudden Julie's alone, completely alone. Mm -hmm. So we booked our trip to go. And so after that, we develop this little group chat, the three of us. And that's kind of how we stay connected um, with little memes or speaker tapes or just these are the things that are happening in our day to day. And um, one day we get a text message from Julie. And um, obviously, understandably, she's having a bad day, a day of grief, a day of suffering. um, And she says, I just want to die paraphrase. Was, I was think just, I
1: said, I fucking hate my life and I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Right. Probably I probably thought what I said, cause I yeah, say that I, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> immediately Sarah and I start side texting. Oh my God. Uh, should we be worried? She's all alone. And this is hard, right? Like as a friend, your friend is a million miles away across a border she can't leave the country, as she said, because she's waiting for status for her green card, and um, we can't get to her. And it's not like we can go over and knock on the door and say, "Hey, you're in a dark place. Let me just hold you. Let me just take you somewhere. Let's have a cup of tea. Let me hold you while you cry." Um, and then I hear this message, and immediately I'm like, "Oh my God, suicide watch." Um, I think she's. I think she's gonna. I think she's gonna hurt herself, even though she has this faith, which says no. This is not an option. (laughs) I can understand she's at this point. She just Mm -hmm. wants to be with Zach. And how Mm -hmm. can she be with Zach if she's dead? Mm -hmm. So I call my sponsor. I express, she knows Julie's my friend. She knows about the podcast. She knows about um, Julie's husband being taken uh, from us suddenly. And I said, I'm really worried. I don't know what to do. Um, If she was here, I'd just go over. She said, you need to take this very seriously. And now I probably said to her, she she says she wants to kill herself, which is what I, whether or not that's what you wrote, that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God. And she's like, yeah, we have to take these things seriously. Um, You know, imagine how you would feel if you did nothing. And she did commit suicide. I'm like, okay. So I called Sarah and I'm like, yep, you know, you're right. I think we need to, uh, I had to check my thinking with my sponsor as Sarah was checking her thinking with me, um, I said, I think we need to intervene. So I called Julie's sponsor, who I haven't spoken to in probably seven years when she came to speak at our home group. I was surprised she even knew who I was, but she did. And uh, and I told her the reason for my call. I said, have you spoken to Julie this week? And she said, yeah, we texted and we're going to talk on Wednesday. I said, I don't think you should <laughs> wait till Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I'm immediately telling her what she should do because um, I'm controlling like that. And I said, I'm really worried. I think she's going to commit suicide and um, you know, she's, she's not going to AA meetings and I'm very, very concerned. Um, you know, I don't even know if she has any sponsees or if she's working with anyone. I know when I'm in a dark place, these are things that really help me. Will you reach out to her? So, and I think I kind of threw her off. She's like, does Julie know you're calling me? I'm like, no, but I will tell her. <laughs> no she said because I'm going to tell her and I said absolutely you should no secrets uh and I'm you know I'm never going to ask somebody not to you know to keep a secret for me um and I will text her and tell her expect from your sponsor and I did that Mm -hmm. and you're like what okay so yeah so you can pick up from here
1: so because of my ptsd um, due to the sudden and violent nature of my husband's death, which was he was hit crossing the street and died in the street. I think it's was in, within about, I think it was a half an hour, to be honest. Um, I don't do well being blindsided. So I, I think you left me a voice note is what it was. And also this is another thing that goes along with like trauma, which is your memory. Like, forget it. I have the IQ of a chair. Like, it's just not, uh, it's not. <laughs> Like if you know anything about, uh, PTSD or trauma and what it does to the brain, it's not a good situation in there. Um, so I felt blindsided by it and it took me a couple of days to like crawl through what that was. And I had put a message in the chat, I think within 24 hours that said, um, I just need a, like, I got your messages. I just need a couple of days. We'll chat soon or something like that. Um, And so at the beginning, I was very upset because I felt blindsided and because in my widow group and in grief circles, there is a big distinction between expression of grief and suicidal ideation. And so one of the things Lisa said afterwards to me was like, what should I have done? And I said, well, you just should have asked me.
0: (laughs) And she
1: started laughing and she's like, oh, my God, I literally took hours and days and weeks of my life doing suicide prevention training.
0: Yeah. I never thought of that. (laughs) Um, It, It went right out the window. But that's one of the things they tell you. Ask the person point blank. Are you thinking of killing yourself? Yes or no? Do you have a plan? And I did not give Julie that opportunity.
1: Now, good things have come from this. One of them being um, a solidification of how we love each other, Lisa and I and Sarah, because one of my first thoughts was I also don't know what it's like to be a person witnessing my grief and how helpless and awful that must be to leave people powerless to be like, what's this poor girl going to do? We're watching her traverse a worst case scenario in her life. So I said that right off the bat, which was like, not super happy about it, but I also don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. Um, so I wasn't ever mad. I just had to sort through what my feelings were, which was like shock and disappointment and, um, I was irritated by it. and but the two things came out of it, which was like, how it is with every relationship when you work through something without being emotional about it um, in terms of like arguing or insulting or like cutting off the relationship or other things that some people may have done. I get Lisa. I've always gotten Lisa. Uh, To know her is to love her, I think. Um, I just always have felt like I know her heart and way back when I think both of us have had to defend each other to other people that have really not understood who we are or what we mean or how we behave or those other things. Um, But the second thing is my sponsor and I reconnected and we've always gotten along like a house on fire, but we're having weekly chats for like an hour to two hours now because of this, because of what Lisa did, because of what you did. And so it's been really good for the both of us. And my sponsor is also a grief counselor and has also, because herself, she's had this experience. She is a counselor to adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So she also gets what I'm going through and how I express it. And she's not worried. And this also gave me an opportunity to tell Lisa and Sarah, my my therapist is not worried. And here are the reasons why. And. This is, and I said at the beginning too, this is why I don't share stuff like this to people outside of like the widow circle, similar to why you wouldn't share things about our alcoholism and our addiction outside of an AA circle, because people don't recognize what you're saying and they are greatly disturbed by it. It's one of the reasons I have pulled back from AA because I find myself in the, in, AA meetings and I'm not judging anybody's trials and tribulations, but I need stuff that's much more specific and hairy and awful. I need widow speak, which is why I'm in a widow support group right. um, because AA just makes me feel more isolated because what I'm struggling right now is not um, I need a drink or I'm going to drink or, and, or my spiritual well being. It's like, how do I go on in the face of what's happened to me? And, um, of course there's a, and there's a lot of 12 steppers in my widow's group and they have the same experience and they're like, honey, you're going to go in and you're going to pull back and you're going to go in and you're going to pull back. And the 12 step group, people will always be there for you. And your widow group, people will always be there for you. It's just part of the process. So good things has come from that. And I think it's an encouragement to people. If you're in a spot with someone that you really love and you're feeling whatever feelings, um, you don't have to get crazy about it. Literally just talk to somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. It's okay. What a, what a powerful example of our us. Let's go back to this line. Yes. On page eight. Um, living in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Both Julie and I probably would have ended this friendship uh, if we were drinking or if we were mm-hmm. in early recovery because your reactions are all emotional when you're in early recovery but we have time under our belt and oh by the way aren't you celebrating 10 years soon october oh my god what month is it august in two months yeah that's and we're almost in september isn't tomorrow september
1: i think so it's august 3rd yeah we have a couple more days until september
0: yeah yeah yeah, so like in a month and a half, you're going to be 10 years sober. So that's the difference between maybe being new and in early recovery. And by this time, hopefully, if you've done the work, if you've just been a dry drunk, it's the same as when you're in early recovery. But at this stage, uh, there's a little more emotional sobriety. So instead mm-hmm. of coming out with claws and fists, mm-hmm. Julie was like, I need a couple of days to process how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I was like, "Uh oh, yeah, (laughs) okay, that's good. All right. (laughs) I think I've upset her, but I'm glad she's alive.
1: We have to pull away from this offense culture we're in right now where you're only as good as the last thing you said to someone. And then the minute you're offended or upset, it's like cancel them, block them, dump them. It's like that makes me crazy because. Where is the foundation of what we've built for? I don't even know how long we've been friends 10 years, nine years. Like, yeah. what is this person's? How does Lisa feel for me? How has she shown her love for me? How have we worked through things before? Is she doing something to harm me? No, quite the opposite. Like, how could I? get mad at something like that. I mean, I also am a person where it takes a lot to offend me, like a lot, a lot, and yeah. it takes a long time to get to that point. But I just think like, I don't know. I'm grateful for stuff like that. Cause that's like, that really tests the foundation of where you're at. And then in my opinion, builds another layer on top of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful learning experience too, because I won't react the same way again. And, uh, if it has come up, then I'll be like, oh yeah, that's just how she talks. That's widow speak. I understand widow speak now, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a, you know, um, and I know, um, that I'm powerless over Julie's pain and Julie's grief. Um, all I can do is witness it. And all I can do is be here to hold her, uh, emotionally not physically right now, when we get together, it can be physical. Um, but emotionally and as a friend and that's, that's what I have control over, but I don't have control over, um, when it's going to happen to you, how long you're going to stay in it. Uh, I can't bring you out of it. All I mm-hmm. can do is love you through it. And, uh, yeah. and I know that. Yeah. So hopefully this has helped somebody too. Um, Just about communication, honest communication, about patience, empathy, um, not cancelling people um, because there's been a disruption or a miscommunication. Um, But remembering, like you said, um, don't cancel everything that has gone before this may be difficult or challenging moment. And we learn from it. We both learned. It was beautiful. And I thought, how graceful when she said to me. Uh, us Sarah and I I have no idea just like you guys have no idea what it's like to be a widow I have no idea what it's like to be a friend of a widow who is suffering Mm -hmm. so that was beautiful
1: Mm -hmm. and by the way love and tolerance is our code in this program so we should be the most loving and most tolerant of people around us we should be the example
0: amen Oof, we could do a million podcasts on that. Instead so of TNA, it's
1: TNL. <laughs>
0: TNL. Yes. All right. So let's wrap it up and then we'll come back in a few minutes if you hit play again. And uh, we'll continue on with Bill's story on page nine. This has been another episode of Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. Have a great 24. Ciao.